I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How do people know you are a Christian? How can they tell you? Talking about you specifically. How do people around you know you're a Christian? Especially when someone new comes into your life. How, how can they tell? How do they find out? How do you choose to demonstrate it? I just got to tell you about this one time. Um, I was on the side of the road, you know, taking a breathalyzer test. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. The cop thought I was drunk. Uh, you probably need a little backstory, and this may possibly be my favorite opening story ever. After it happened, I wrote down every note immediately so that I could remember to tell it one day, today's the day. <laughs> you know the scripture that says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else has ever taken it far enough to require a sobriety test. <laughs> But a few years back, I drove up to Whistler uh, with my son. I don't know what it is with me in Canada, but I, last week I told you about the drug dogs going through the car at the border. Well, I drove up to Whistler, and just, just as I pull into Whistler, I'm pulled over from, for going 14 miles per hour over uh, the limit on the highway. And you remember last Sunday I told you about my, my patience training exercises? And that uh, there was a period where I was really determined to practice being just like Jesus in short bursts. And, and I still do that. They've just changed where they are and what they are. Well, at, at this time, I was not only in full training mode. It's like, okay, cops pulling me over. I'm going in full training mode. But I also wanted to set an example for my son because he was right there in the front seat. So I am determined as this police officers walking up to the car. I am determined to be a, a gracious, joyful, grateful, actual, full-fledged, Christ-like believer, come what may. Uh, do you see where this is going? <laughs> All he could conclude is I was drunk. So he approaches, no nonsense, and says, you know what you were doing? I didn't exactly. And so what I said was, I, ass I assume I was speeding, but I wasn't paying attention, which makes it even worse. So I'm good with getting whatever I deserve. And then I smiled. <laughs> and then he leaned down and sniffed and said, do you have alcohol in this car? And I said, no. He says, are you sure? And I said, you can look if you'd like, it's no problem. And he says, have you been drinking? I said, no. And he said, not even a beer. And I said, nope. He says, I can smell it. <laughs> I said, but I haven't. And he said, then you wouldn't mind taking a sobriety test. And I said, <laughs> and I said, because I'm trying to be pleasant. I said, not at all. I'd enjoy seeing how the process works. So he's escorting me back to his car, <laughs> reciting a warning, <laughs> and asking me to confirm that I'm voluntarily agreeing to this test. And I say, yes, of course, whatever you need. And he turns and says, 
you haven't had anything to drink? And I said, nothing. Now, believe me, this is way funnier now than it was then. It was not funny. This is one of those things really funny in hindsight. But at the moment, cars are going by, and here I am standing on the side of the road, blowing into this device. And it goes, deep. And, and a lot of you probably know about this, but it was new to me. Uh, <laughs> he holds it up for both of us to see. And it goes, deep, deep, deep. And then it flashes 0.0. Whoo, because you never know. And so, and then, I mean, as soon as it flashed the 0.0, this guy uh, 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 switch flipped, and he's all smiles and apologies as he walks me back and writes me up uh, for $113 for going 14 miles an hour over the limit. And I sincerely thanked him as I took the ticket. I sincerely thanked him for his vigilance and told him I'd pay it with pleasure and pay more attention to my speedometer and left that poor guy just absolutely dumbfounded. Now, I can only behave like that in determined bursts of training that often come to failure before I'm quite finished. But, but with my son being with me, it gave me this added incentive to keep going, and I got to just carry it on through. And looking back, I'll, I'll bet you that confused cop had never pulled over a believer who was behaving like such a believer. <laughs> Turns out, fully displaying the fruit of the Spirit is jarring. And I look at the rest of my life and go, how come I'm not jarring more people? No wonder Jesus put so many people off. It's weird, but in a really cool way. See, just imagine the joy of Jesus' disciples on Pentecost when they were filled with the Spirit. And they went out and, and, and shared. And everyone heard them sharing the good news of God's mercy in their own language. Now, you remember that day? Some made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. That's what that looks like. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. My fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully uh, to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. That's just funny. That's just funny. Because you're trying to figure out what's going on. What, what, what group are they in? I want to find somebody, make sure I didn't overlook something here. Because for me, practicing Whistler, practicing that much Christ-likeness in that situation led that police officer to believe that something was up. He could smell it, but he couldn't identify it. Because that something was too right to recognize. It was too incongruous with the ways of this world. It just, he, he didn't know how to peg me, you know? Couldn't identify my group. He's thinking, what, what, what who, who do you belong to? Let's see, okay, it's gotta be running through his mind. You know, it's like un, unruffled, happy, humble, honest, friendly, it gotta be with the drunks. That's it. I think I smell it. I think I smell it. Try to imagine what it would be like in this valley if all of us simply had training sessions 
like that. And then just kept growing. Imagine the impact that would have. Because it's jarring. It's jarring. And it forces us to, to take stock and go, boy, when I really think about being like Jesus, there's not a very, uh, very many times where I'm not being just like Jesus. It takes training. That's last week's message was about. And last Sunday, we saw that almost every conflict between the religious and Jesus was over those, those three things. Remember? Dietary laws and uh, holy days and circumcision. That's what, God comes to earth, and that's what we want to argue about. Because... This was how they identified as true Jews. So Jesus is a big threat because he focused on true hearts over superficial expressions. And yet, as we pointed out last week, all the religious rulers agreed with Jesus regarding the biblical standard uh, by which to measure there's an example where Jesus just says it. You shall love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments of love, God above all, neighbor as self, on these two commandments of love, depend all the love, uh, all the love, depend all the law. Because the law is love. That's the heart of the law. They knew it. They believed it. They taught it as the fundamental way to self-assess a true heart. So I'm asking again this week, why did they waste their energy arguing about superficial expressions of spirituality? I got a good answer. It's a little convicting. You ready? There's a commentary on Romans by James Dunn, the author. James Dunn notes that in Paul's day, the vast majority of rabbinical writings concerned those three areas of the law. But then he goes on to explain that for the Jews, you see, these were the boundary markers. This is what set them apart from other nations. So that was their set of boundary markers, those three things. That's why that's what they argued. Sociologists have, a, have an actual name for this. They're called identity markers. And they have a definition too. Identity markers are relatively superficial, highly visible rules used to categorize those inside a group from those outside a group. And turns out every group has them. Consider the Hell's Angels. What's their color of clothing? Yeah. What's their beverage of choice? <laughs> What's their type of women? Biker chicks. Okay. So you see, <laughs> superficial, highly visible identity markers in every gang from Hell's Angels to Missouri Synod Lutherans, that's what I was, Hell's Angel, uh, has, a, has a unique set of their own. You know why? For the self-centered security of knowing I'm included, I'm in, I'm in. So whatever group, whatever group we're a part of, we want to know. We want to know desperately how to tell who's in from who's out, but mostly that I'm definitely in, right? I'm wearing the hat. 
I got the thing, the right, I'm, I'm in. Which is probably why every group considers their markers somewhat sacred. Which is why many believers, thankfully not in this church, but many believers, instead of having the reassurance of a living faith that comes from watching Christ's likeness slowly growing within, bump, 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 is why they turn to misleading ways to measure, like how they vote, or dress, or drink, or don't drink, or smoke, or don't smoke, or tithe 10%, or, you know what, that one we're keeping. Go ahead, just take that one. I mean, we kind of need that one. Or how they approve of tattoos, or don't, or whatever. I mean, whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what, what the markers are. They're not the solid rock. And we cannot stand firm on a foundation of sand. We got to dig deep down, just as Jesus says in the parable, and lay our foundation on the rock so that we can be alert and of sober mind, standing firm in the faith. Hey, you ever heard this scripture? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You probably heard it like the last eight Sundays in a row. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Not with some random identity markers, like what you eat, what you celebrate, or what's going on downstairs. We'll leave that to the legalistic crowd. No, you, 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 you are all children of the light and children of the day. So let us be awake and sober. For those who get drunk, get drunk at night. <laughs> but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You need identity markers. There you go. There's three good ones. Faith, hope, and love. I set them out of order because that's the way Paul puts it in the love chapter in Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. So I'm just going to ask you again. How do people know that you are a Christian? Here's, here's what Jesus wants, actually, slash demands. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, like he has for us. And then later, John talks about that command. And he says, this commandment, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. For this is the love of God. This is how you show love to God. This is loving God. That we keep his commandments of love. There's two based in love upon which every other commandment hangs. That's how we show love. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments of love. And his commandments are not burdensome. No, they're love. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes bit by bit, bump by bump, the world, the ways of this world with love. And this love, commandments of love, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, this is our faith. This is the victory, this is our faith, the love. And so if we, here's, here's what's so dangerous. If we resist those voice bumps of the spirit that steadily make us, they're turning us around, right? They're making us more loving. If we resist those little bumps that are steadily making us different from the ways of this world, we will find ways to act different so we'll feel less guilt for not really being different. And that is self-deception and pseudo-transformation. And that's what's at the core of legalism. It's like, well, rather than allowing God's word to renew our mind and God's spirit to turn us around, we've got to prop ourselves up with superficial identity markers because everyone knows that Christians are supposed to be growing and maturing and loving like Jesus. So when we're not... We want to do something to distinguish ourselves. I guess, I guess the thinking is, if we can't be holy, let's at least be weird. <laughs> then they'll know that we're a follower of Christ. And thus, in so many churches, the pastor could be very arrogant and resentful. But if his sermons were orthodox and conventional, he'd likely keep his job. But let that guy light up a cigarette just once in the parking lot on a Sunday morning, and he'd likely be out on his ear. Now, these same churches would never say that being filled with smoke is worse than being filled with arrogance and resentment. But when not smoking becomes a religious identity marker, it takes on an incredibly inappropriate theological and emotional significance that goes way beyond health issues. And we see that today. And so in many religious settings, not smoking has become somewhat sacred. At least we're being weird. <laughs> yeah. You see that? That's why the religion of the Pharisees was so toxic. They were not being transformed by daily renewing their heading. They were just being religiously weird. And to their chagrin and to the crowd's delight, Jesus just really enjoyed pointing it out. Here's three zingers. I mean, the Gospels are full of them. But these are three of my favorite. You know what you guys are like? You're like beautiful whitewashed tombs full of putrid rot. You guys, you sift out a gnat and then swallow a camel. Yeah, you guys, you, you pick at a speck in a brother's eye with a plank hanging out of your own. How can you not love Jesus? You see, the crowds just loved him. Because the Pharisees, Pharisees' energies go into identities. But Jesus is all about our heading. What are you aiming for? What direction are you going? Do you will to do his will? 
He saw everyone as either heading toward loving our Father and our neighbors in ever-increasing measures or not. That was it. That's how, he, that's how he knew who was in and who was out. Are you aimed the right way? You aim toward wanting to love God more and more and your neighbors as yourself more and more? If you are, you're in because you're aimed the right way. If you're not, you're not in because you're aimed the wrong way. Oh, and they hated that. But that's why he could say, and he does, and I quote, uh, to, the, to those who had every religious identity marker of his day, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. How do you suppose that went over? Well, they said he's got to be with the drunks. That's basically what they said, right? He's a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They could smell it on him, but they couldn't identify it. But the true and humble who had felt a million miles away from God, finally found a shepherd who was actually, genuinely, authentically holy without being weird. And they came to him in masses. And he loved them and invited them to enter his presence and experience his power and share his joy. If you, if you got to have your markers, here's, here's some more. Have this one. Be alert and of sober mind. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Each of you should use whatever, whatever you have re, a gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, well, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. In that love chapter of Paul's, he basically says, if I have all the markers without the love, I'm nothing but noise. And just imagine how antagonistic it was for Paul to write to Jewish believers saying, as for those agitators, and he is talking about the ones who are arguing over circumcision, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Emasculate is a very nice word. It just basically means cut it off. But it literally means, literally means remove their male identity. I wish they just removed the whole identity. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. They're going to smell two different things, however. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death because when they smell it, they judge it. They don't identify. And, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life because when they smell it, they identify it because they want it. And he goes on to say, for we are not as so many 
peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak. That's us. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're headed for. Jesus comes along with this jarring way of distinguishing God's true children by tossing out all the superficial trash and cleverly crafted identity markers and calling his followers to seek their deepest identity in our Father's mercy and then offering them the strongest security in the love and authority of our self-sacrificing, death-conquering Savior. For you, 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 you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. Are you aware of that? God's very own possession, that's us. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, once you had no identity as a people. Now you do. You are God's people. Chosen, royal, holy. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So how do people know your true identity? Don't settle for superficial renewal and pseudo-transformation. Keep growing, keep going. Bump, 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 till, till you are so alert and sober-minded and full of love, they can smell it on you. Even if they've yet to identify exactly what it is. Because if you stay true to your course, they'll eventually have to ask. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you and worship you for establishing our deepest identity in your unfathomable mercy and grace and love. Holy Spirit, inspire us to be truly sincere by opening our eyes and empowering us to remove any and every superficial expression of our faith and trust and love for you. Lord Jesus, we're following you and praising you for shepherding us and staying true. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.